Mm-hmm. Y'all ready for some intense Greek today? We're doing like six words. Our very different kind of feel for us. It is the epitome of mobile for sure. We're streaming from two different places to people that are here at the Nightlife Center on uh, in South Sarasota. <clears throat> and then we have people all over the world in different countries in different countries and states. It's a very unique thing that we're doing here, and I hope it works. If you can hear me good at home, you might have to adjust volume a little bit between what we were doing and what the band was doing. And later on, if there's something happens, we'll have this up on YouTube. So I'm Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here at at Grace Life, and we're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. This is week 35, and I've called this Sight in Stages. Sight in Stages. So here's my introduction. Have you ever had a moment when you thought you understood something, only to realize that you were totally blind to what was really going on? Maybe you had, you know, some partial understanding, But then suddenly reality hits you and you saw things clearly for the first time and you recognize what just a few minutes before you thought was clear sight was actually very blurry and cloudy. I remember in early March, I think it was like March 8th to be exact, I was watching a football game on TV. It was from the XFL, that little spring league they were doing. And, you know, I love football, and it's not very good football, but I was starved for football. So I'm watching this game right before we understood what was going on with COVID-19, right? This is right before we know what's happening. And I saw this stadium was just full. I think it was St. Louis, stadium full of young people. They all had their shirts off, you know, and they're all drinking beer. And they're doing this thing where they stack all their empty beer cups together into what they call a beer snake. Have you ever seen this? And this thing was like 25 yards long of beer cups that were empty. And they're stacking them all together and they're passing these stacked cups along the stadium. I mean, it was really, un- it was, looked like you're having a blast. This was right before the news about COVID-19 really started to blow up and we understood what it was. This was right before... I think maybe right after we had shut off China travel and, and there were some cases in Washington State, but it was still small. And this thing is like 25 yards long, this beer snake, and it's crowded, but they're all just having a blast. And I thought to myself as I watched this 25-yard empty beer cup snake and all these people in a stadium watching football and having a blast, COVID-19 is not a big deal. They're having fun. I mean, don't judge me, okay? But I got to tell you, I felt strange comfort in watching that debauchery in the stands. <laughs> All the beer drinking and everything. Everything like people were acting normal. Nobody was concerned about anything. And then, in reality, the very next day, we all learned it was something very different. The fans didn't see the threat clearly when they were in the stadium. None of us did, frankly. We saw COVID-19, we knew it was there, but we had kind of blurry vision about it. But then our eyes opened and things became crystal clear. We saw COVID-19 with blurry vision and then clearly we saw it was different. And that Monday, the Monday after that game, the XFL season was canceled, along with the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the National Hockey League. And that's when I said, wow, they're shutting down sports. Now it's serious. It got my attention. I started to get it. So let's look at our passage today. Mark 8, chapter, 20, chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. And they came to Bethsaida, 
and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And the blind man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he's healed halfway, but he can't see it clearly yet. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then he sent this man to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So like we do at Grace Life, you look at each passage through three applications. First of all, the history. Seems like another boring miracle, right? I mean, we've seen these a dozen times in Mark. Jesus heals someone, and great, he's healed blind people before, he's healed deaf people, he's even raised people from the dead, he's done miracle picnics. Why is this one a big deal? <clears throat> why would we want to study another miracle of Jesus? Well, here's why, because this miracle is about us. It's about how Jesus works in and through us. And yes, Jesus did many miracles, but this one is quite different from all the others. It's different in its location, it's different in its purpose, and it's different in its procedure. It's a miracle that only the Gospel of Mark records, and it really sets a very big historical divide in Jesus' ministry. Up to this point, his ministry has been very outward, it's been very public, and now it is turning inward and private. Previously, most of what Jesus has said and most of what he has done has been designed for the masses who have eyes to hear and, and ears to, to, eyes to see and ears to hear the truth. But in the future, from this point on, his primary focus, while still others may benefit, like this blind man, his focus is pretty much on the 12 disciples. From this point, it's a major, it's like a continental divide in his ministry. And Mark isn't alone in declaring this, by the way. In the Gospel of John, he does the same thing. He chronicles very public ministry in the Gospel of John up until chapter 11, and the rest is all private with the disciples. <clears throat> so Jesus shifts for very important reasons. Yes, he wants to blind the truth from some that are seeking it, but maybe really don't want it. But he also wants to help others see more clearly. And at this time, it becomes an intense time of training, for his disciples, for kingdom life, after he's gone. He's going to teach them things they don't know yet. And many see this miracle as a very significant marker in the ministry of Jesus. But I want to talk about Bethsaida now. That was the turning point, is this miracle. And I want to talk about proud Bethsaida. So recall, the disciples have just left that dock where Jesus kind of said, you know what, Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm done with you. No more signs for you. I'm done. I could do anything and everything, and you still wouldn't believe. And then they had that boat ride, right, like we talked about last week, where Jesus warned them about the toxic Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, beware of their leaven. That was our sermon last week called Bad Bread. But Bethsaida is a very proud Jewish town with a heritage of loving the Torah and worshiping the God of Abraham, and they're faithful temple worshipers, and they go to the temple whenever they're supposed to, <clears throat> they take great pride in being a temple satellite kind of town, if you will. It's also, interestingly enough, Bethsaida, the hometown of Peter, Andrew, Philip. So family would know these guys are in town, and the word would get out. So some people bring a blind man to Jesus, because religion and medicine had failed him. They were powerless to heal him, and Jesus is the only hope. 
But what Jesus does is he starts by hiding his light. You know, throughout the study of Mark, right, we have seen where Jesus has expressed, <coughs> excuse me, where Jesus has expressed frustration with two types of human spiritual blindness, right? We have seen Jesus very frustrated with the total blindness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. After a while, he would have zero patience for all of them, leaving them at the dock, <coughs> condemning them to spiritual blindness for all eternity. Jesus doesn't heal him in the town where a lot of the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be. He leads the blind man and his disciples outside of town. Now, why would he do that? Well, just like with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus had actually, if you go back, had already condemned Bethsaida, this town, to unbelief. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 11, 21 and 22, here's what he says. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which, by the way, were just huge Gentile pagan towns with no understanding of spirituality, if the mighty works done in your towns had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have all repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Tyre and Sidon, what he's saying, Tyre and Sidon, these pagan cities known for crime, vice, prostitution, violence, greed, injustice, he is saying... These cities would be better off than you are. Had I done all the miracles I've done for you, Bethsaida, they would have all become Christians. Matter of fact, Tyre and Sidon are specifically doomed in Jeremiah chapter 25 and chapter 47. People who understood the Old Testament would know that Tyre and Sidon were towns that were condemned. Kind of like how we condemn... Never mind, I'm not going to say Bradenton. In Amos 1.9... Tyre and Sidon are condemned for selling Jewish slaves. I mean, it really, think about it. It is hard to get any worse than Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus says, woe to you, Bethsaida. I've done so many miracles in your city. Had I done in your city what, if I'd done in your city what I'd done in Tyre and Sidon, if I'd done that there, they would have all been Christians by now, but you don't want to believe. I have done more in those towns than everything I did here. They would have put their faith and trust in me, but you can't. So that's the history. Let's look at the spiritual part of this passage. I want to talk about how Jesus deals with blindness. First of all, you guys keep saying you want Greek, so I'm going to keep bringing it until you say, okay, Joe, enough with the Greek already. All right? But what Mark does here, the piece of this spiritual component to this passage, it's brilliant. Mark uses the Greek language in an amazing way. See, Greek is a very unique language in how many ways you can use different words depending upon the ending and where they are in the sentence to describe in different ways the same verb or the same noun. And here, what Mark does is he purposely uses several words to describe both eyes and the ability to see. Eyes being the noun and see being the verb. The first one I want you to look at that he uses is this Greek word homa. It means literally the body part, the eye. That's what it means, the body part of the eye. And then the next word he uses for eye is this one. This might look familiar. Ophthalmus. You get that opt optometry. Ophthalmus. It means figuratively. It is the noun of vision. It's saying, so you have two nouns here. You have the eye, the homa, and you have ophthalmus, which means Vision, both used as nouns. And then 
you start to have some verbs for talking about being able to see. The first one is this word blepo. It means to look or to perceive. It literally means to be able to see something and understand what it is. Another word for see he uses is the same word but a different kind of construction. Anablepo. It means to recover the ability to see. So the first one says the ability to see. This one means you are now able to see. He uses that word. And then he uses another incredibly interesting word. It is emblepo. It's the same word with another ending or beginning that totally changes it. It means to desert, to, to observe or discern with absolute clarity. So now he's used three words for sight. The first one is to recover sight. The second one is to be able to see. The third one is to be able to see with absolute clarity. Then there's another verb. This is an adverb describing some of these verbs. This is telagos. It means you are able to see in a shining manner. I mean, wouldn't he have just stopped at saying you could see clearly? No, he wants to make it very clear what's happening. And then there's one last word he uses. This is amazing. Apokathistemi. It's a very long word. It means to restore to perfect health or order. So why is this important for us to understand all these words using? Because Jesus is describing, or Mark is describing several different steps. What happened was, he could have just said, hey, blind man, boom, see perfectly. But that's not what happens here. He goes through stages, and each one, Mark explains, there are different stages that he uses to describe the vision. He uses two words to describe the eyes, then he uses four or five words to describe the vision and how it starts and how it began and how it got more clear. He is saying, listen to me carefully, there is a progression here. I could have done it all at once, but I didn't want to. Then we see the next part of the spiritual component of this. I want to talk about the fact that this miracle in stages is for 26 eyes only. It's for the 12 disciples, and the blind man, right? 12 times 2 is 24 plus 2. 26, right, see? And for the same reason he led the blind man outside the village, he directs the blind man to take the long way home. He says, when you go back, don't go through town. I know you live on the other side of town. I know it's a shortcut, but look, you can see now, so you might as well enjoy a nice walk and see what you can see, right? Go around the village. Don't go in. I don't want anyone to know. Remember now, Jesus has said he will perform no more miracles in Galilee, especially Bethsaida. They will all remain what? Blind. He said, don't even enter the village. People will know soon enough that you can see. But by that time, I'll be out of town with my disciples. We're gone. We just learned, right, that Jesus had no intention of making another scene for the people in Bethsaida. It is clear that he intends this miracle to be only for the man and the 12, a total of 26 eyes. Just like last week in the boat, just like last week in the boat, if you remember, Jesus is setting up a powerful object lesson for their benefit. I mean, of course the blind man is healed. But the real purpose is not just the healing of the blind man. The real purpose is for the disciples and their understanding of the kingdom and what is to come. 
And what Jesus is basically saying is this. You ain't seen nothing yet. You think you see things now? Just watch. This is the only place, guys, in the four Gospels where Jesus did a healing in two stages. All the other healings were boom, done, bam, let's go. Here, he takes his time. He leads the guy out of town, talks to him, I imagine, a little bit on their way out of town, talking to him, leading him by the hand, gets him outside of town. Why would Jesus go through the trouble of doing this in two stages? I believe this lone two-stage miracle at a turning point in Jesus' ministry indicates something very crucial. It is Jesus painting a picture for his disciples that they don't see everything as clearly as they think they do. Just as with other groups, Jesus has shown frustration with the partial blindness of the disciples, right? We know he was frustrated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but occasionally he says, do you still not see? Do you still not understand? But when it comes to them, unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus displays infinite love and patience. He will never stop revealing himself to them. He will reveal as long as it takes until they get it. The disciples weren't like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But Jesus did show frustration they had the gift of faith, don't get me wrong, they're Christians. They have eyes to see certain things, and they have ears to hear. They were with Jesus every day for three years, but they still couldn't see it all. But things are about to get real. And their faithful eyes are about to be opened even wider than they could have ever imagined. In fact, next week's passage, we begin to see the impact of this lesson about how they see in stages. For the very first time, Jesus declares, you are the Christ. Do you see how that works? Why wouldn't Jesus or Peter have known like a year ago that Jesus was the Christ? It took him all the way to Mark chapter 8. And you'll learn about that next week. See, right now their vision is blurry. But soon after the cross and the resurrection it will be crystal clear, and they will get it. So let's talk about the personal side of this. I'm going to talk about spiritual blindness. This is the Sunday sermon preview from this week. Just because you've been a Christian for years doesn't necessarily mean you know much about him. Now, I know some of you guys read that this week and went, oh boy, Joe's going to kick our butts again. <clears throat> I don't want you to read that and start fretting. Pastor Joe's saying, I don't know anything about Jesus. Oh, no, that's not the point. No, what I'm trying to teach you this week is that this idea of spiritual blindness is a constant daily, weekly, monthly, yearly struggle for all believers. Yes, believers. In matter of fact, we are in the midst of a blindness pandemic. <clears throat> The fact is, each one of us is engaged in a daily, lifelong struggle with spiritual blindness. Yes, even us Reformed theology people, believe it or not. <laughs> spiritual blindness is universal as a pandemic. Spiritual blindness runs so deep in all of humanity, Jesus must deal with it constantly. I don't know how he does it. 
Those without Christ are totally blind to even the simplest concepts of sinfulness and the need of redemption and all that stuff. Some are so blind, they have symptomatic cases of blindness that manifest themselves in pure resentment for God and Jesus and the gospel. We have seen how Jesus deals with that type of blindness. However, as we see here in Mark, even believers struggle with spiritual blindness. The disciples walked with Jesus daily and still didn't have full sight. So it's understanding that we would struggle with it, right? It's not a stretch to think that. Our churches are filled with people who might be Christians, but don't know very much about it. Yes, we have the advantage of the beautiful, full canon of Scripture the disciples did not have, but of course they had the physical Jesus, the living Word of God. Face it, guys, we are all struggling with spiritual blindness. To one degree or another, we are all in desperate need of Jesus' touch, even if it's in stages. Here's where the fear should come in. I, I don't want you to be afraid of the Sunday Sermon Preview. Here's where I want you to be afraid. Ready? Here's where you should be afraid. Are you satisfied with your current blurry vision? Or is there a deep desire that you have to see more clearly? If you don't have a desire to see more clearly, that's when you should be concerned. If you're uncomfortable with the way I see, I don't mind looking through one eye with a, with a cloudy glass over it. No big deal. I got enough. If that's you, you may not be a Christ follower at all. You see, Christ followers want to know more constantly. You know why? Because we have been given humble vision. Right? It's so easy for us to shake our heads at these poor blurry-eyed disciples and the Pharisees, right? In Mark, we have seen the examples of how disciples did that with Jews, right? The disciples shook their head with Jews and Gentiles alike. We've done that. See, this miracle is a reminder of how we should have humility about our own spiritual vision. As I said, the church is full of people who might very well be believers, but still have terrible eyes for spiritual things. They need quadfocals that there's such a thing. Maybe it's perhaps that some of these that struggle are in the first stages of their eyes being healed. Many things are still blurry. They're hard to make out, hard to see. But they understand redemption. See, this is exactly how God works with us spiritually. He displays infinite patience as we display very little for others who are struggling with the same malady we do. Here's the fact. We may not be able to see everything. That should be something that keeps us humble and grateful for what we can see. We must have humility to recognize we don't have the ability to comprehend everything perfectly and fully. That, again, can be a hard one for us reform thinkers. We're so confident we know it all already anyway. Well, you don't know Jesus chose you, you didn't choose him? Pfft, what's wrong with you? <clears throat> see, we have to be humble enough to rejoice over what you can see but also humble enough to know our eyes are not fully opened. <clears throat> Rejoicing in God's sovereign grace as he patiently 
relentlessly continues the process of healing our spiritual eyes and opening them up in stages like the blind man and the disciples. <clears throat> and we desperately want him to continue to open and heal our spiritual eyes. Don't you? But here's the good thing. One day, just like the blind man and the disciples, we will have full, clear vision. Look at this verse from uh, Corinthians. For now we see it in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So just so you understand, <clears throat> that's not a mirror like we have today where it's like a nice clear glass mirror. Back then, mirrors were polished bronze or copper, maybe silver, but it would tarnish and it would get kind of blurry and cloudy, so they weren't perfectly clear. You could see, you could make stuff out. He says, right now, we like seeing a mirror and it's faintly or dim. But then face to face. Face to face means this. We will see him as he sees us. That's what he says. We shall know fully even as we have been fully known. We shall see him as he sees us. It's a masterful work he's doing in our lives, taking us to its fullest state, our vision. It's one of the reasons, listen carefully, it's one of the reasons we never have to give up hope for family and friends as we pray for them and love them. We don't know where they are on the stages. <clears throat> but one day, when we are face to face with Jesus, we will have the full understanding of him and his cross. And get this, we will comprehend his love for us that was before the foundation of the world. But even further, we will have full understanding and knowledge of the mystery as it unfolds of exactly how he guided our souls throughout human history to assure that we would arrive at his feet on that day. Man, that day of complete and full revelation, of full vision, is going to be stunning. <clears throat> I hope this camera's on to record it. <clears throat> Can you imagine everything that we're going to take in that day? Maybe we can't handle knowing all of it today. You ever thought of that? If you had full vision, maybe you wouldn't want to be troubled with this petulant, silly, foolish world. And you'd miss out on kingdom work you're supposed to do. Is that possible? But for now, I think it's very wise that we recognize that right now we know in part. And while we strive and desire to know fully, we should recognize there's only so much we can see in this particular stage of our walk with Jesus. But what we will do as children of God is we will follow him daily as he reveals more and more. Heavenly Dad, I want to thank you so much that you have the patience to work with us step by step. Because I, I know that if you revealed all spiritual truth to me right now, I think I'd have a heart attack. And so in many ways, I'm thankful for this stage. But Lord, I pray that you would keep us humble when we start getting a little bit arrogant about what we know. You would remind us, uh, you're still in stages. Make us humble and hungry to learn more about you in a way that makes us more effective for the kingdom that we're trying to help you build right now. But even with that, we do long for that day 
when our vision is perfect and we no longer look in a mirror faintly, but we see you face to face and we know you fully as you have known us. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank everybody that's tuned in through this live stream. It's a very different way that we've kind of done it. We're going to see how it works in this process that we're trying to figure out how to navigate all this stuff. But thank you guys for here that we're coming. Those of you that are outside, thank you. And those of you from home and band, you sounded great. We love you guys. Have a great week.